So please turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John, sorry, not chapter 3, chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. So we've been going through this letter for the last couple of months, and we're coming to the end, the conclusion of this, this letter. And as the apostle moves us towards this conclusion, he brings together into one paragraph uh, the three tests of what authentic Christianity looks like. And he's showed us a number of times different tests um, so that we may know whether we are truly God's children. And in our text this morning, he summarizes that for us as they are woven into um, these, these few verses. And of course, the foundation of, of any test is that we are, number one, and foremostly, we are born again. We are children of God. We have experienced this new birth. So as we view these vital signs of um, the new birth, just in summary, remember the first test. The first test is the, the moral sign of obedience to God's commands. The second test is the social sign for love for others. And then the third sign is the doctrinal sign of believing the truth about Jesus Christ. If a person has truly received new life from God, these, these signs will be there. They will be evident um, in, their, in their life. Of course, they will grow stronger and stronger over time. But if there's no evidence of these signs a person should examine themselves whether they have truly been born again or not. And that is John's goal, that we would know for sure that we are God's children. So let's read this morning from chapter 5, um, 1 John chapter 5. We'll read the first five verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not a burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, we again thankful, Lord, that we can meet here um, together to study your word, uh, to be encouraged, and to encourage from your word. We know your word, Lord, is inspired. It is breathed by you this morning. So we're not just going through um, a self-help um, booklet, Lord. We are studying the living word of God and we know it is profitable for us in every area of our lives so we pray father that this morning the spirit of God would help us to submit to um, what he has to teach us today father that we would humble ourselves before you this morning because we know your word says that you give grace lord to the humble but you resist the proud so we pray this morning that that would not be true of us. We would not be proud people, but that we would be humble 
And that we would receive your grace this morning as we apply these truths to our lives, as we um, become doers of your word, not just the hearers who are here just for, um, for the entertainment or for the show, Lord, but that we would truly be here to meet with you this morning as Brian has already prayed. So we ask for your spirit, Lord, to teach us. We ask for your spirit to change us. And we pray that you would receive the glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So you probably may know already that when a child is born, they have to pass a certain test. Um, And this test is called the, the APGAR test. And the test is usually given twice at the, the birth, once at one minute after birth, and then again at five minutes after the birth. Of course, sometimes if there are concerns about the baby's condition, the test is, is given again. But the, the APCAR test stands for appearance, it stands for pulse, it stands for grimace, which is the frown or the expression on the face. Um, activity, what type of activity is going on in, in the baby's body, and then the respiration, APGAR. Um, and in the test, these five things are used to check a baby's health to see if extra medical care or emergency care is needed. Um, each, each is scored on a scale of zero to two, um, with two being the best score. But I remember our daughter, Eden, when she was born, she scored a very low result on this, this APGAR test. Uh, but thankfully, she was alive. Um, she came out of the womb with an umbilical cord uh, wrapped around her, her neck, and she was not breathing properly. She had blue skin. She wasn't very responsive, uh, very weak reflexes. And um, Carrie and I were both very alarmed and the doctor calmly removed the, the cord from the neck and cleaned the, the mucus out of her nose. And after a minute, she was, she was pink and she was crying. Um, if she had not started crying, uh, if she had not started breathing, she wouldn't have been crying. Um, so when she started crying, that was the first time um, that I enjoyed a baby's cry. It was, <laughs> it was a wonderful thing to hear. And um, if she had not cried, of course, there would have been a lot of grief um, not filled with, with joy. And we know some parents go through this pain. We know some parents go through this type of suffering after having a, a stillborn baby. But the difference consists in that one little quality, isn't it? Um, which even modern medicine, as advanced as it is, cannot give to a baby. And that is life. And that is life. And in the spiritual realm... Just like the the physical realm, life means everything. New life means everything. And we see the vital signs of the new birth are essential for our walk with the Lord, for our spiritual life. There is no walk with the Lord if we don't have these vital signs of the, the new birth. If a person is truly born of God, these signs will be there. They will be there. They will be evident. If those signs are missing, of course there's, there's reason for alarm. There's reason for concern. And Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 7 that there will be many who call him Lord, Lord, and many who have done even miracles in his name. 
But at the day of judgment, Jesus says, he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And in light of these things, we, we all need to be clear about whether we truly have been born again or not. Whether we truly have this, this new life from Christ. And as we've been studying, John gives us three vital signs of this new birth. Faith in Jesus, love for others, and obedience to God's commandments. And we will look at this again this morning. In fact, my three points this morning are those three signs of spiritual life, which John condenses into these first five verses. So my first point is the social sign of love. The social sign of love, which is right there in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So John mentions being born again twice in verse 1. Notice there. And then again in verse 4. It's mentioned three times in these five verses. And the new birth must be the starting point of any relationship with God. Now you can go to church all your life. And you can be religious and moral. I mean, you can tithe all your money you have to the church. But none of that will get you into heaven. Remember the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, who was a, who was a religious leader, a Pharisee. And he was confused about this new birth. And he said, how is it possible that I must be born again physically? Must I go into my mother's womb again? Jesus said, truly, I say to you, in John 3, 7, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he said, so that was in verse 3, and then he says in verse 7, you must be born again. I remember having a similar conversation with a, with a, a man that I respected. He was a priest. He had been a priest um, for, for over 50 years. He had been in the ministry. And he was on his deathbed. He was in his 90s. And I, I went and I spoke with him while he was in hospital. And I said to him, Uncle, if, can I ask you one question? Please don't take offense. And I asked him, have you been born again? And it was a, a question that um, caused him a lot of concern. And he said to me, young man, that is nonsense. That is a doctrine from America. I don't need to be born again to go to heaven. And I said, but uncle, the Bible says in, in John chapter 3, unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. This is not a doctrine from America. This is a doctrine from Jesus Christ. It's right here in the gospel of John. Unless we are born again, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. No matter how religious you are, even if you've been serving in the ministry for 50 years, that will not give you a ticket into heaven. So the question that John is asking, and he is showing us here clearly, is that unless we are born again, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, you can dress a corpse in the finest clothes. 
But at the end of the day, it's still a corpse, isn't it? What it needs is life. Spiritual life. And before we are, we are born again, we are all dead in our trespasses. We are all dead in our sins. That's what the scripture says. And all the finest religious clothes in the world will not help that corpse to know what spiritual life is. What we need is new life. What we need is this new life that only God can give. We cannot get this new life by, by our own efforts. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much we, we clean up our lives, no matter how many bad habits we, we stop doing, no matter how many New Year's resolutions that we make, nothing can give us this new life apart from God. So the very initiative and the power for this new life comes through God. It lies with God. And Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives the life to whom He will. And that was true of Jesus' miracle of, of raising the physically dead back to life. But it's also spiritually true. And that the Lord Jesus gives life to whomever He wishes. Whomever He wishes. God is the sovereign creator of this spiritual life. God is the sovereign over even our salvation. And the Apostle Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Apostle Paul says it in similar words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This new birth that we're talking about, that John is talking about, is completely a work of God. It is a completely work of God. We cannot play any role when it comes to raising ourselves from the dead. Many mistakenly think that being born again is just a matter of choice. I'll just choose to be born again like I I choose bread from a bakery. Of course, we need to put our faith and trust in Christ, but the question is, how can a dead sinner do this? How can a dead sinner do this? And the Gospel of John gives us the answer. Chapter 1, verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But of God. You know, none of us had any say as to whether we were going to be born physically. And that same, and that truth is the same as in our, in our spiritual life. It is completely, it is entirely a work of God. It is according to His, His sovereign will. And the Bible teaches that the reason you, you choose to trust God is that God has quickened you from the dead. He has made you alive. And because of that, you can embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, no one could or would choose to, to trust in Christ. So even this free will is really just overrated. It, it, our sovereign, the Lord, is the one 
who initiates and gives us this, this new birth. Look at the second part of, of verse 1. It tells us, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And here's the test. The sign that you have received this, this new life from the Lord is that you love others who have received the same grace. Is that you love others who are born again. Remember John says in chapter 4, look there in chapter 4 verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has, not, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So it appears that the specific obedience that, that John has in mind, which would show we love God, is in loving others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we've spoken a lot about this previously, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, um, which leads into the, the second verse and the second point. My second point is the moral sign of obedience. In verse 2 it says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. Look at verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So here's the second sign. Here's the second sign that He's been giving us right through these four chapters. The moral sign of obedience. And here John turns this verse around and says that loving God is a sign that you love his children. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So John's point here is the same as it was in chapter 4. John's point is that loving God's children is seen when we love God and keep his commandments. It's a test of obedience. Of course, while you should have feelings of love for God and for his children... Feelings are not the basis. We've looked at that. They're not the basis for this love. Feelings come and go. As we've seen, biblical love is, is, is primarily a self-sacrificing commitment to serve others, to help them in their need. And John is saying, you don't love anybody if you don't love God. It's impossible. It's impossible. You may think you do, But John says in verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. So John uses the word commandments three times in these verses. In verse 2 and verse 3. And as we've seen, John is not saying that believers obey God perfectly. Remember, this is about our direction. It's not about perfection. Rather, he is is looking at the overall direction of, of how we are living. A Christian's life should be marked by obedience. Obedience out of our our heart, out of a love for God. And when a child of God sins, we know that he confesses his sins so that he can be restored to fellowship with God. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that doesn't mean we're perfect. But it means... This is the direction of our lives. The person who claims to be born again, but who is not concerned 
about a lifestyle of obedience to God's word, needs to examine themselves. Needs to examine to see if he really is in the faith. The moral sign of obedience. Right here. And John adds a positive word at the end of verse 3. Look there, he says, And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. So he does not mean that obedience to God's commandments are always easy. He doesn't mean that it's always without effort. This terminology has a warfare connotation. The word overcoming and the word victory shows that this obedience is often a battle. It's often a battle. We know the world, the flesh, and even the devil are these enemies, these these foes that we must constantly fight against. It's not easy. One of my favorite Puritans, which I've quoted before, he commented on verse 3 in a book called A Body of Practical Divinity, Thomas Watson. And I love his English here. Um, Listen to the quote. He says, I confess to him that hath no love to God, religion must needs be a burden. And I wonder not to hear him say, What a weariness is it to serve the Lord? It is like rowing against the tide. But love oils the wheels. It makes duty a pleasure. Why are the angels so swift and winged in God's service? But because they love him? Jacob thought seven years, but little for the love he did bear to Rachel. Love is never weary. He who loves money is not weary of toiling for it. And he who loves God is not weary of serving him. We just looked this morning at the topic of giving at our, in our class. Where your heart is, that is where your treasure will be also. You know, an immature young believer may look at God's commandments as very restrictive, as very burdensome. But our Heavenly Father knows that that sin will destroy us. He knows that sin will damage us. He knows what is best for us. And if we have come to know His love in Christ through this, this new birth, then we must trust His love. We must obey His commandments because they are good for us. And we trust His character. And when we see that God's commandments come from His his love for us as his children, they shouldn't be burdensome. I love the way that Watson puts it. Love oils the wheels. It makes a duty a pleasure. I hope that's how you see God's commandments. Think about the Psalms that, that have been written for us, that have been preserved for us. Think about Psalm 119, the longest book, the longest chapter in the whole Bible. It's all about the law of God. And it is a delight to David's soul. He doesn't talk about it as as a burden. Love is never weary. He who loves money is not weary of toiling for it. Where your heart is. If you love money, that's what you're going to serve with joy, with much effort, with much commitment. 
But he who loves God is not weary of serving him. And that is why John says in verse 4, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So here's the, the third sign. All three signs have been crammed into these five verses. The sign, the test of doctrine, of belief. Look at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So our text is obviously directing our attention to this issue of becoming an overcomer. We are overcomers. Twice it says in verse 4, it it identifies us as those who have overcome the world. And then once again in in verse 5, the word overcome is used. So we overcome, who do we overcome? We overcome Satan. We overcome death, including sin and including the law. We're no longer slaves to those folks. So think about that for a moment. moment. If you're a true believer and you sin, it's not because you're a slave to that sin. It's because you've chosen that sin. You've chosen to enjoy it. The scriptures tell us we are overcomers. Through Christ, we have overcome sin. We have overcome death. And here we see we have overcome the world. You can hear... John's words from from chapter 2 kind of bleeding here into the scripture, isn't it? Remember in chapter 2, turn there with me. In chapter 2, verse 15, he tells us, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So what he's telling us is if you're still loving the world, if you're still lusting after the things of the world, if you have not yet overcome the world, you are not a child of God. The love of the Father is not in you. Look at verse 16. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the desires, the lust of the flesh, And the desires, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Look at verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So John is telling us here quite clearly. Really, there's no gray area here. There's no room for debate. True Christians have overcome the world. It's no longer something that overwhelms us. It's no no longer the, the object of our attraction. It's no longer something that we serve. Because we have overcome that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ by this new birth. Look at a moment at this word overcome. Let's see the definition This is a very descriptive term and it will help us understand what what John is saying here. The word here for overcome is from the Greek word um, nikao, which means to conquer. It means to win. It means to defeat. It means to, to gain victory. And the noun form of that word is the word nike, 
which is something we are very familiar with, a word which we are familiar with. The Greeks loved the word Nike. They actually had a goddess by the, the name of, of Nike. And this was the goddess of victory, the, the goddess of triumph. Um, the United States military forces, they call their intercontinental ballistic missiles Nike m- missiles. I confirmed it this week, eh? And then, of course, we have our, our Nike shoes that are supposed to, to lead you into triumph, to lead you into victory in, in whatever sport or whatever, whatever you do. Um, the connotation is there. But the word is used by our Lord Jesus himself in John chapter 16. In verse 33, he uses the verb form. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have peace tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What Jesus is saying is, I have defeated the world. I have conquered the world. I am the victor over this world and it's all, all its systems. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, Paul uses a similar word. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him, who loved us. This is not something we do on our own. This is something we have through him who loved us. This victory comes from Christ. And Paul says, we're not just overcomers. we we conquerors. we conquerors. We have, through faith in Christ, entered this wonderful state, this wonderful condition. We are conquerors. We are super conquerors. We're, to put it another way, we, we're invincible. We cannot go to hell, folks. We have overcome the devil. We cannot die and lose our salvation. Our salvation is secure in Christ. And Paul tells us that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful truth there. What a security. We are safe in the arms of God. We are safe in His love because He has conquered the world. And through Him we have that victory. Through him, we have that victory. There is nothing that can destroy us. That's what the scripture is telling us. There's nothing that can take us away from his love. No distress, no persecution, no famine, no nakedness. We are conquerors. We are conquerors. At the point of our salvation, we have been conquerors. We have overcome. It says in Revelation chapter 12, they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Back in 1 John chapter 2, turn there with me again. 1 John chapter 2 verse 12, it says the same thing. As soon as you believe the truth, you defeat his lies. You defeat the lies of the devil. As soon as you embrace the power of God, 
His power is cancelled. It is, it is neutralized in your life. We are overcomers because we have overcome the evil one. The evil one. And as Paul says to the Romans, the evil one is under our feet. He is under our feet. He is the defeated enemy. And scripture tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This cannot happen if you're an unbeliever. This cannot happen to you because you are still a slave of the devil. But if you are born of him, the devil will flee from you if you resist him. We are told that a soldier in the army of Alexander the Great was, was not acting bravely in one particular battle. When he should have been pressing ahead, he was, he was lingering behind. And the great general approached him and said to him, What is your name, soldier? And the man replied, now my, name is, my name, sir, is Alexander. My name is Alexander. And the general looked at him straight in the eye and, and said firmly, Soldier, get back there and fight or change your name. Get back in there and fight or change your name. His name was Alexander. He was reflecting really a characteristic of this, of this general. But what is, what is our name, folks? What is our name? We are Christian. We are little Christ. We are children of God. And that name should be a symbol of this victory that we have in Christ. To be born of God means to share God's victory. It is not faith in ourselves, but faith in Christ that gives us this victory. And very clearly what, what John is, is wrapping up here is that the evidence or the proof that you're an overcomer is your faith. It's your faith. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're born of God. And if you're born of God, you're an overcomer. You have overcome the world. It's our faith in the Christ. It's our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes us overcomers. And our victory starts at the moment of our salvation. We're given a permanent faith that, that never runs out. It never runs out. You know, there, I'm not saying we will never have moments of, of doubt. I'm not saying that we'll never have moments of, of questioning. Yes, that is there for all of us. Think of John the Baptist. While he was in prison, he had, he had these, these fleshly doubts. But the Lord is gracious to us in our time of doubt. Doubt is a temptation. Doubt is, is, is surely a sin. But if you are a true Christian, doubt will always be a wrong response. A sinful response because we understand that we are secure in God's love. He has triumphed. He has defeated the enemy. He has defeated the demons. He has defeated the kingdoms of darkness. He's defeated death. He's defeated hell. He has defeated sin. He has defeated the law. He's defeated the, the world and all these false teachers. And we are conquerors because of that. We are conquerors. As verse 4 says, you are an overcomer. And who is the one? Verse 5, look at verse 5. Who has overcome the world? 
but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith cannot be destroyed. It endures. And that's the message of Hebrews 11. We read a portion of that this morning. You can read the rest on your own. I encourage you to do that. By faith, all of those people recorded there in Hebrews 11, they went through trials, they went through struggles, they went through the sword, they went through fire, they went through all the horrors of of persecution. But their faith was firm to the end. Firm to the end. And that's what John is telling us. That is what a true believer looks like. One who endures to the end. Their faith is sure in Christ because they are conquerors. This enduring faith, this unbreakable, unconquering faith is the evidence of our salvation. Is the evidence of our regeneration. And this is what we should be characteristically looking like. But let me conclude with a story for our friends from the USA, particularly Texas. There was a very poor man down in West Texas in the 1930s who, who barely made a living on a very poor sheep farm. His name was E.L. Yates. And he was so poor that he was ready to declare bankruptcy and allow the banks to repossess his, his farm. He was constantly worrying about how he could pay his bills and, and feed his family. But one day, a survey crew from an oil company came to him and asked for permission to drill for oil on his property. And the contract stated that he was to receive every eighth barrel if any oil was found. At 1,115 feet, they found oil. It gushed out of that well. And that well produced 80,000 barrels of oil a day. And soon after that, the oil wells produced twice that capacity. And even 30 years later, the government surveys showed that these oil wells had a capacity for over 125,000 barrels a day. And it proved to be one of the the richest veins of, of oil ever found on the North American continent. And Mr. Yates owned it all. He owned it all. And when he purchased the land, the the oil came with the land. And during all his years of poverty, he didn't understand how rich he really was. He didn't know it. And years passed before Mr. Yates possessed what, what he owned. Years passed before he enjoyed the privileges of this ownership. It's a wonderful application here just from this passage this morning every Christian we have this wonderful privilege we have this victory through the Lord Jesus Christ we have this victory to live every single day it is by faith that we claim what is ours it is by faith and the question we need to ask as we come to a close this morning Are you living this victorious Christian life? Are you living every day in his power and in this victory?
that is promised to those who are children of God. Let me paraphrase what the Apostle John is writing here. He says here, you Christians do not need to walk around defeated because Jesus Christ has made you victors. He has defeated every enemy and you share his victory. So now by faith, claim this victory. A victorious faith is the result of maturing love. It's the result of maturing love. The better we come to know and love Jesus, the easier it is to trust him with the needs and the battles that we experience. So let me finish with a a challenge here for those who have questions. What about if these vital signs are not there in your life? Well, if the signs of new life are not there, well, then you don't know Jesus as your Savior. And you need to call upon the name of the Lord in order to receive this gift of salvation. You need to be born again. You need to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I plead with you to do that this morning. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are a defeated individual, defeated by the world, defeated by the devil, defeated by the lusts of this world, call upon the name of the Lord and He is faithful to forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Christian, claim the victory that belongs to you. It is your birthright in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, these are very difficult verses to understand. And I pray that your spirit, Lord, would help us to apply these truths. Help us to apply these truths into our practical daily living. Father, I'm afraid, Lord, so many of us do not live with this confidence. We don't have boldness to share our faith, Lord, because we don't have this this victory in our lives because we are playing, Lord, with the world. We are playing with sin. And we are not enjoying this wonderful victory that we have in Christ. So I pray this morning, Lord, that you would search our hearts. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would convict us, Lord, where we need to Repent that you would grant us, Lord, the forgiveness that we need, that we would live for your glory, that we would be devoted, Lord, to the salvation of the lost, and that you would use us, Lord, in a greater way to share the wonderful love of Christ with those around us. So we pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts this morning. I pray for those, Lord, who who are not saved, who cannot see any of these vital signs in their own lives, but yet are being religious, but yet are being like the Pharisees, ritualistic. I pray, Father, that you would grant them repentance this morning as well, that they would call upon the name of the Lord this morning and trust you, Lord, by faith. 
for this new life that you have promised us. And I ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.